0: Welcome to Wit & Wisdom, where each week we bring you articles and podcasts that teach you how to lead a more intentional and fulfilling life. Every two weeks, our subscribers receive a free, deep dive that covers a wide range of topics. They include things like happiness, spirituality, fear, faith, family, psychology, relationships, and of course, the wide range of emotions that tend to get all of us in trouble. As you probably know, each week on Wit & Wisdom, we start our conversation with a question. And this week's question's kind of heavy. So here goes How do you want to die? Would you prefer it be a complete surprise to everyone, including you, or a long drawn out affair? A painless accident or a peaceful and calm drifting away with your mind quieted by the images of memories created with the people you love most? Take a minute to ponder these questions. We'll wait. Everyone's favorite Parrothead, Jimmy Buffett, passed away peacefully on the night of September 1st. He was surrounded by family and friends and music and dogs. He lived his life like a song until the very last breath. That was the announcement that rocked millions and millions of people around the world on September the 2nd. Yes, Jimmy lived an amazing life, but he died the way he lived, with dignity and grace. Okay, I'm guessing that these questions made you more than a little bit uncomfortable. Some of you probably stopped listening. You know who you are. But your reaction to these questions tells you a lot about how you see life and death. And it's unlikely that anybody has ever asked you these deep, thought-provoking, emotional questions. But why not? How are these questions any different from life questions like, Would you like to get married someday? Or, Do you plan on having children? Or, When do you plan to retire? I guess these questions are considered a little more appropriate because, ostensibly, there's at least some agency involved in their outcome. Yes, dying is the great mystery of life, and there's nobody who's done it before that can offer you advice or counsel. But why does the topic of dying create such angst in us? I think we can all agree that in pre-modern times, people died at much younger ages, and death was a common part of everyday life. It was typically something like an infectious disease, like pneumonia or tuberculosis. Or it could have been something as simple as cutting your finger on a nail. That's the kind of stuff that killed you back then. But the infrequency of death today makes the topic strange and uncomfortable. It's disquieting for us, it's wholly unfamiliar. In the words of Tim Keller, death is an abstraction to us, something technically true, but unimaginable as a personal reality. Today we've cured most of the stuff that used to be lethal. And much of that death that occurred in pre-modern times was simply bad luck. See almost any episode of Little House on the Prairie. But today is different. One could argue that early death today is often self-induced. Smoking, obesity, alcohol, drugs, suicide. That'd be a pretty good argument. And even people with a deep faith are rattled by existential questions about their own demise. Sure, we're happy to talk about eventual dying and our deep faith that assures us we'll go to heaven, that we'll be reunited with those who've passed before us, and that we will live free of the fiery damnation of hell. Those conversations are comforting, but questions about how we want to die are typically off-limits. There They're as inappropriate as, how much money do you make? Or, did you guys get married because she was pregnant? Just imagine walking up to someone at a cocktail party and asking, so, How do you want to die? Or how much time do you think you have left? These days, someone is likely to call the police. And I bet that person that would call the police is also following my podcast on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, or wherever they get their podcasts. See what I did there? So why are these questions so uncomfortable for us? It's inevitable that we'll all die, and certainly more inevitable, statistically speaking, than getting married or having children. In fact, in some cultures, talking about dying and death is encouraged. In fact, in Bhutan, people believe that talking about your death at least five times a day demystifies and desensitizes the subject. In what I feel is the most bizarre example of there's an app for that, the good people at WeCroak have developed a death reminder app. The app provides a daily iPhone notification about, you guessed it, your death. I guess the purpose is to desensitize you from the fear of your own death and make you more grateful for the time that you have left. For the benefit of my loyal readers, I signed up for the free WeCroak trial. For the past few weeks, I've been getting daily affirmations and reminders that someday I'm going to die. The tagline for the WeCroak app is, remember, you're going to die. The first notification I got was a quote from Euripides No one can confidently say that he will still be living tomorrow. A reassuring. But in full disclosure, I had my own near-death experience last year. I was playing golf with my friend Bob McKeever in the mountains, and I developed severe chest pain. Like most men, I tried to ignore it. And then I did what most men would do. I got a transfusion. Not a blood transfusion, a cocktail transfusion. It's a tasty combination of vodka, grape juice, and soda water. Because, you know, nothing cures a heart attack faster than vodka and grape juice, right? After an EKG at the hospital, I was initially diagnosed with a heart attack. My blood pressure was 220 over 150. Of significant note, approximately 9% of all near-death experiences are a result of a heart attack. The ER doc asked me three times if I had a DNR, a do-not-resuscitate, on file at the hospital. It never crossed my mind that she was asking me that question because she thought I might die. After a couple of doses of nitroglycerin and a trip through the cardiac catheterization lab, I was diagnosed with a heart infection in the lining of my heart. I'm fine today, but a few days in the cardiac ICU tends to focus the mind on your own mortality. While my condition was serious, I was never worried about dying. I was totally calm the entire time, trying hard to keep the doctors and nurses laughing. I'd say it was my tremendous faith that called me in the time of crisis, but that's not exactly true. The simple truth here is, I just didn't think I was going to die, even though there were seven doctors and nurses working furiously on me at the same time. I wonder if that's a wise approach to a life-threatening situation, though I suspect there are a number of people that get to the pearly gates, and the first thing they say is, no way, I really didn't think I was going to die today. A near-death experience can have a significant impact on how we see life and death. It sharpens the mind and allows us to more clearly contemplate how we want to live and die. Because an important part of living is contemplating how you want to die. A living will is a legal document that outlines exactly how you'd like to be treated in the event that you're incapacitated. See, without a DNR, your family's final memory of you might be of a doctor jamming a breathing tube down your throat or violently breaking your ribs with CPR compressions, or shocking your body numerous times. Not a great final memory of Peepaw's last day on earth. And theoretically, the living will provides guidance and direction to the hospital, in addition to your family members. But it's woefully inadequate. Let me explain why. Imagine a life and death decision having to be made in the hospital. Your family is gathered around the bed. Your family is gathered around the bed. Tensions are running hot. They're trying to interpret your living will in terms like a high degree of medical certainty, an irreversible condition. Everyone is emotional and anxious. It's a recipe for a lifetime of guilt and worry if things don't go as planned, and they rarely do. Do you prefer heroic measures and last-ditch efforts to save your life? Things like CPR and intubation? Have you ever thought about these things? Would you want to pursue every possible medical pathway, regardless of the drastic nature or the drastic impact on the quality of your life that might result? The Conversation Project is a public engagement initiative of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. The goal is both simple and transformative. It's simply to help people discuss dying and to document their personal preferences. The following is an excerpt from a letter written by a conversation project participant to her family. It goes as follows. Dear Kiddos, First of all, don't panic. It's okay. If you're faced with a decision you're not ready for, it's okay. I want to let you know what I want for various circumstances. But if you come to something we haven't anticipated, it's okay. And if you come to a decision point where what you decide to do results in my death, it's okay too. You don't need to worry that you caused my death. You haven't. I will die because of my illness or my body failing or whatever. You need not feel responsible. Forgiveness is not required, but if you feel bad or responsible or guilty, first of all, don't. And second of all, you are loved and forgiven. If you're faced with a snap decision, don't panic. Choose comfort, choose home, Choose less intervention. Choose to be together at my side, holding my hand, singing, laughing, loving, believing, and carrying on. I will keep loving you and watching you and being proud of you. Love, Mom. In the words of Frederick Buckner, every person we have ever known, every place we've ever been, everything that has ever happened to us, it all lives and breathes deep in us. And according to Dr. Ira Byock, author of The Four Things That Matter Most, there are four key messages that can bring peace and closure to relationships. They are, I love you, thank you, I forgive you, and please forgive me. All righty, let's revisit what we've learned here today. First, we're wholly uncomfortable with the topic of our own death. Take a minute to contemplate what the ideal end of your life might look like. Where are you? Who is there? Are you more interested in heroic measures or last-ditch efforts to save your life, things like CPR and intubation? Would you prefer for nature to take its course, comfortable in your own bed, surrounded by family, pets, and friends, maybe the way that Jimmy Buffett died? Second, establish a living will, but go ahead and share your personal preferences with your family members, those closest to you, preferably in writing. The Conversation Project can help with that. And third, be prepared to bring closure to challenging relationships with friends and family. Be prepared to forgive and most importantly, to be forgiven. You've been listening to Wit and Wisdom with Tom Green. I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. The good news is, if you come back in two weeks, we'll have another one and you can tune in. Just remember... You can pick up this podcast on all major podcast platforms. And be sure to tell your friends. We just crossed 17,000 subscribers, and we're looking for 17,000 more. So thanks for tuning in to Wit & Wisdom. And until next time, remember, nothing beats nice.